Welcome to the Scott Ross Discipleship Podcast. Scott has been discipling men and women for more than 20 years and is passionate about helping you grow into the full measure of the maturity of Christ. Grab your Bible, something to write with, and your favorite warm beverage, and let's listen as Scott takes us deeper in our walk with God. So, um, back to Joel chapter 2, the thing is, is that prophecy, like I said, was like kind of a metonym for, I have the Holy Spirit, God is working through me, and we see that in places like 1 John chapter 2, it says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth, he's speaking to Christians. In verse 27, as for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, just as it has taught you, remain in him. So, Peter sees that all of these people in the upper room who are male and female, from all these different backgrounds, they're speaking glorifying God in these languages they've never been taught. And he's seeing this as the fulfillment of Joel. All these people are prophets now. They all have the Holy Spirit. And the Joel prophecy has come true right inside our listening. It was 1 John 2, 20 and 27? Correct. Okay. Is, that the, is the Joel 2 uh, the one where it says... Not Jew, not Gentile, or not male, female? No. What, okay. what no, I'll, I'll, I'll pull that scripture up and give it to you right when we're done, Ray. I, I want to give you the right reference. Okay. I know roughly where it is, but I'll, I'll give it to you in one second. Um, and I'll put it in the telegram for everyone as well. So, Amos um, says, Indeed, the Lord God does nothing without revealing His counsel to His servants. The who? The okay, well... Have, have we had his counsel revealed to us according to what we just read? Yeah. He says, you know the truth and he remains in you. Unlike the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, the, the Holy Spirit is not going to be just given like we did that whole survey of the Old Testament. The, the Holy Spirit was would anoint a person for a specific task. Y'all remember that? And then that task was done, the Holy Spirit would then move to function in some new way. And that's why David prays, Lord, take not your Holy Spirit from me. But now, in the New Covenant, that's not taking place any longer. 
those who are saved, who trust in Christ, are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and uh, it remains in them. So, um, going back to this verse in Jeremiah, No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all know me. From the least to the greatest of them, this is the Lord's declaration. I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sins. All right, we are basically at a stopping point. Um, I wanted to make sure we got this connection between Sinai and Pentecost and between the Feast of Weeks and Pentecost. And we see how there was all this foreshadowing in the Old Covenant and it was fulfilled in Pentecost. Because when we start to understand those things, we start to then get a really a deep um, glimpse into what does this mean for us? Because now what we're going to... I said, if you remember, we're going way back. But I said I got the cart before the horse a little bit when I started talking about how the Holy Spirit functions in the body of Christ today and His role in the individual believers' lives. Because now what we see is we have to make this connection. Once we understand what the Holy Spirit is doing and basically we live in this post-Pentecost era... And whenever we are, whenever someone is saved, in a, in a sense, they have their own little mini day of Pentecost right there. They have their day of Jubilee, and they become a, a prophet in this sense of having the indwelling of the Holy Spirit so that they have a new supernatural knowledge. And then that needs to start manifesting itself. Um, something I talk, and I'll, I'll come right to you, Ray, one second. One of the things I talked about with the youth last week is, you know, I just asked them, I said, how many of you guys feel like, and I'll just ask you, how many of you feel like there's just got to be more to the Christian life than what you really sense is happening? I mean, you know, uh, I think that we tend to fall into this mode as evangelicals, especially people like us, like, you know, Pastor Wayne and I are, are uh, I'm blessed to be able to call him friend, and we'll talk about this a little bit, like, you know, here at Frisco Bible, we have, a, we have a specific culture, I think we can all recognize, and our culture is we're a little bit more cerebral probably than the average church, right? Probably think about doctrine a little deeper than the average church does, and I praise God for that. But there's a byproduct of that in that the Christian life can tend to become this intellectual exercise. It's like, do I get all the test answers right? And God's not really interested in me answering the test questions right. He's interested in me being Him. And I don't mean that in a heretical way at all, of course. I mean, he wants me to turn into Jesus. He wants me to become a small version of himself. And it's about this, it's about an actual life that we live. That's Christianity. It's not in this academic stuff. The academic stuff should only fuel that process. Or we're being puffed up, as it says in Corinthians, right? We're being deceived. So, the Holy Spirit is the catalyst and the fuel for that transformational process. And the Holy Spirit supernaturally enables us. It says, you know, the same power, dunamis, that raised Christ from the dead indwells you. I mean, if you really meditate on that, things start to change. Because you cannot continue to live life in the same way if you're operating in that kind of power because that's a power that clearly was unavailable to you before you were a believer so you know I, I and I'm preaching to me if I look at myself on any given day and I go Scott could have done that day before he knew Jesus 
he could have pulled that day off no problem. That's a problem. That's a litmus test. Like, am I operating in such a way that it's, it's clearly evident that something supernaturally must be going on? And I think about that a lot for myself. And I think about how do I become more and more yielded to this process that the Holy Spirit wants to take me through to transform me into a Christian, a small Christ. Okay, Ray, you had a question? Nope. It's one of the things that's a, a, a point for apologists to make, actually, is you have to try to explain why it all stopped. Because it did. It all stopped. You know, um, the, the, the altar in the temple broke in two, and it was never repaired. It wasn't like, oh, boys, we better get a project together. Let's do a little fundraising. We're having a little church fundraiser now to get a new altar. We had a we had a we had a um, you know a, a, a composite one. We really want to go with granite or quartz this time. You know there wasn't any of that going on. And the uh, curtain was torn in two. Correct. The veil was torn in two, and that wasn't replaced either. And you have to explain. This is a little auxiliary to that discussion because, of course, these were the the believers, the the followers of Christ. But you have to explain why these very devout Jewish people, which everyone who followed Christ at that time was, stopped worshiping on Saturday and started worshiping on Sunday. That was unheard of. It would have been unthinkable. Like, you just wouldn't do it. What do people say about it? I mean, like, like, if, you, if you were to ask a devout Jewish person, why didn't you they would make some, uh, well, I think the average person has never, I think the average Jews never thought about it once in their life. But if you were to talk to like someone who's got some scholarship behind them, they would make up some excuse about how, you know, Roman imperialism was getting worse and how the diaspora was coming and ultimately you had the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, um, which ended it. But, I mean, there's, you know, 34 years there. You could have done something before that happens and... Um, they didn't do it afterwards. When they went wherever they went, they didn't do it. So, yeah, good a question. One-off question. Mm -hmm. Somebody said at the beginning, the Jubilee, they, they give the lands back to the original. Mm -hmm. So, so like, let's say hypothetically, you buy land from me, mm -hmm. and then you have it 50 years. I just got to get it back to you? Yep. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It was part of the negotiation. It's like you're going to get it in two years, so I'm only giving you this for it. So when people in Israel are wanting to rebuild the third temple, mm -hmm. are they basing that on Ezekiel? Uh, some are. I mean, you have the um, I forget what the name of the organization is. You have two organizations that are that are very focused on this, we're going to force God's hand. I'm par I'm, they wouldn't say that, but that's what they mean. They're like, it's kind of like God's a puppet, and if I do these like things, he has to do X because he said so. So um, one of them is uh, a Protestant. I'll just call them Protestants for lack of a better word. They're, they're Christian, nominally so at least. Um, and then another the is they're, they're Jewish. And... Um, like, I ended up staying, for instance, for five days or four days, I can't remember, with a family that 
They were from Chicago. They moved to Israel as a part of a giant group of people that they all believe it's their responsibility to go back to the homeland to cause the Messiah to finally show up. But if you walk around Jerusalem, you'll see these like glass cases on these pedestals. And in them is a perfect reproduction of some implement that's in the temple, like exactly to specifications. So it might be like a lampstand, or it might be like a, um, a candle lighter, or it might be a, like a knife or whatever, right? It was all the implements. And th that is a Christian group that is trying to recreate everything necessary for the temple because they believe that the scripture says that all the implements have to be there before the temple will get made and if they get the implements in place it will force this set of events to take place to cause the temple to get rebuilt which will force the second coming of Christ. But they're missing the ark so... <laughs> yeah well... Unless they find it then they just go down to Ethiopia and grab it. It's in a, it's in a little church down there, apparently. <laughs> it's actually in the State Department uh, basement somewhere. I saw, I saw a movie about that. <laughs> Hidden away. All right, good stuff. All right, guys, happy Mother's Day again to all you moms. Thanks for coming, and next week we will be back in our usual abode. Thanks for listening. We pray this has been edifying. If you've enjoyed the show, please give us a shout out on your favorite social media platform. Scott's username on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram is Scott Ross Online. That's Scott Ross Online, all one word. Also, please remember to go to scottrossonline.com to subscribe, catch up on past episodes, and discuss what you've learned with others. Until next time, continue to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. God bless you.